Welcome to the April 2022 episode of RCV Clips, our podcast about all things ranked choice voting. I'm Kelly, a member of the Resource Center staff, and in today's episode, I'll be talking with our policy director, Chris Hughes. He'll be sharing a bit of information about himself and providing a quick policy overview of what's happening in ranked choice voting elections in 2022, particularly as it relates to special elections. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. Looking forward to talking more about RCV policy and some really exciting things that are happening this year in that space. Of course, I'm happy to be back on the podcast. It's been a little while. I know. We're glad you're back, too. Um, Chris and I like to take turns doing the podcast, and it's been a few months, so we're, we're glad you're back, Chris. So before we get to our main topic, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. I know you've been on the podcast quite a bit but our listeners would love to hear a fun fact or interesting tidbit about you today. Okay. The the thing I've decided to talk about is over the pandemic, especially started getting really into like collecting houseplants and sort of just filling my space with green things because I was inside a lot, like, like a lot of us were. And I wanted to bring some outside in. The problem is that I think I'm a mediocre houseplant dad. There's some plants that are doing great, they're thriving, other plants that, you know, do great for a few months, and then I start watering them too much because I get worried about them, and then they get overwatered, and <laughs> I can't save them. But I, it's honestly, I really love doing it because, like I said, it brings some green into my little DC apartment, and I really love watching them grow and seeing how they change as, <laughs> when I'm doing a good job taking care of them as they grow. Uh, my mom also has a really green thumb. I remember as a kid, there were plants she tried to kill and had a very hard time killing because she was too good at taking care of them. So I feel like I need to like live up to her example a little bit too. <laughs> you know, I have a lot of um, plant guilt for the very same reason. My mother and my grandmother can grow anything, anywhere, anytime. And unfortunately, despite my best efforts, um, my thumb is brown, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I not have as much luck um, as you do. I'm, I'm going to try again this summer to put some really beautiful flowers on my deck and see if I can handle it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. I'm glad that you're, you're building some green into your space and, and a little helicopter parenting on the watering. <laughs> but let's talk about some RCV policy. We hear a lot about ranked choice voting special elections. It seems like everyone is doing them. New York last year, Alaska this year. Can you explain for our listeners what exactly is a special election? Yeah, so a special election is just an election held at a surprising time or for an unexpected reason. They're held to fill a vacancy in a seat. Vacancies can occur because people retire or typically because people die. And that's what happened in Alaska. We'll talk more about that in a second. But that's what a special election is an election held to fill a vacancy. Sometimes they're held at the same time on like the same schedule as a regular election. There, a special election could be held in November uh, of any given year, or they might be held sort of in the middle of January or February. And that all depends on local law when the vacancy occurs. Um, so I won't go into all those details, but that's the high level overview of what a special election is, why they happen, and when they might happen. Great. So... Right now, Alaska is at the top of everyone's mind in the RCV world, um, particularly with the death of Representative Don Young 
And now they're going to have to hold a special election to replace the Alaskan representative who's been around for 50 years. So that's a long time he's been in that seat. How do special elections work there in Alaska particularly? Yeah, so like you said, uh, Representative Don Young, who was the longest serving member of the House of Representatives, died in March of this year. He, like you said, had been in office for uh, nearly 50 years. And his death triggered the special election laws in Alaska because his seat is now vacant. The Constitution, the American Constitution, actually requires an election to fill vacancies in the House of Representatives, which is why we're having a special election in Alaska in the first place. And the way it's going to work is Alaska will be holding a special primary election on June 11th to nominate four people. Voters will just have one vote in that contest, but four people will get nominated. And then they'll actually fill the vacancy in a special election scheduled for August 16th. That election will choose from among those four candidates using ranked choice voting to select someone who will serve through the remainder of Representative Young's term through January of 2023. And this is actually the first use of Alaska's new election method generally. This is what they adopted in 2020. It was called Ballot Measure 2. One of the big parts of it, along with some campaign finance regulation updates, was the adoption of this two-round primary general system where every candidate, regardless of their party affiliation, runs in a primary. That nominates four people. And then they hold a general election using ranked choice voting to actually fill the seats up for election. So this is just Alaska's normal election schedule, sort of in miniature for a single contest instead of for all the contests uh, up for election in Alaska. The schedule generally is for the special election is the primary has to be held between two to three months after the vacancy. So Don Young died on March 18th. And because of that schedule, because of other laws about when ballots have to get to certain voters, Alaska had to hold the special primary between June 11th and June 16th. So they chose June 11th for that day. And then the general special election, the thing that actually fills the vacancy, has to be held at least 60 days after that primary. So they scheduled it for August 16th, uh, which is the same day as Alaska's regularly scheduled primary. So there will be a special general election and a primary election held at the same time. This allows the state to combine these two elections, not have to spend a ton of money holding a single election just to fill this House of Representatives vacancy and sort of should streamline the process. Though, of course, voters will be seeing on their ballot both this special general election to fill the vacancy and a primary election for that same seat on the ballot. So that's going to be something people are going to have to talk to voters about, make sure they understand that campaigns will definitely be invested in teaching people about. But that's the background. That's what's happening. That's the schedule. That's how things are going to play out in Alaska. So another interesting thing that I've recently read is that on the Friday deadline to run for office, there were 51 candidates. <laughs> that's a lot of candidates in the primary. And I think you mentioned yesterday when we were discussing this, that now there are still 48. So a few of them dropped out, but um, it'll be really interesting on the, the national stage to watch this race and see how that all plays out. So there are some other interesting things about this particular House of Representatives seat in Alaska. Can you share with us a little bit about the history of the seat? Yeah, 
Alaska has a single House of Representatives seat. They elected at large from the entire state. They're one of a few states that do this just because they don't have enough population to have districts like most states do. So the representative from Alaska is a pretty big name. You know, they're the person who represents the state in the House. And there's actually only been four total people who have ever represented Alaska in the House of Representatives. Don Young won his seat for the first time in 1973, which is 49 years ago. He was coming up on his 50th anniversary next year. But how he actually won that seat is really interesting, too. In 1972, there was a hotly contested election for the House of Representatives seat. Nick Begich Sr., who uh, the last name Begich is probably familiar to anyone who's familiar with Alaska politics. They're sort of one of the big political families, along with the Murkowskis, in the state of Alaska. His plane, in the middle of a campaign for the House of Representatives in 1972, his plane went missing. No one ever recovered the plane. But the regularly scheduled election in November 1972 was still held, and Nick Begich actually won the seat 56 to 44 against Don Young, the guy who set off this new special election. After the November election, Nick Begich Sr. was declared dead, and so his seat was officially vacant. And the state held a special election again to fill a vacancy in March of 1973, which Don Young won. That's how he got this seat. He filled the seat through the rest of its term and then won his first full term in November of 1974. So the last time the seat was wide open was in 1973. That's how Don Young won it. And now it's getting filled again in, like you said, a wide open 48 candidate vacancy election. Wow, that that's quite a story and, you know, interesting history of that seat. But, you know, one of the things in Alaska, they were scheduled to implement this new system of voting with their primary, where they nominate for candidates. And then the November general election would have been ranked choice voting. But the implementation timeline has been significantly shortened now. What does that mean for Alaska, or, you know, it's probably sort of a fire drill right now, right? I mean, what are they doing and what, what would they have to do to get ready for something like this so quickly? Yeah, right. So that is the challenging thing right now is just the plan was for an August primary, this top four primary where every voter gets one vote and a ranked choice voting general election in November. But now everything's been moved up about two and a half months. The first time the primary will be used is in June. The first time ranked choice voting will be used is in August alongside the regularly scheduled primary. So yeah, that speeds up especially the voter education timeline and the implementation timeline. It means that advocates like folks at Alaskans for Better Elections who ran the ballot measure campaign and now are, are working on the implementation locally in Alaska, the folks at Alaska Division of Elections are just ramping up their voter education campaigns and their candidate education campaigns and everything a bit sooner than it, than anybody planned for. Luckily, they have all those pieces in place. They, from 2020, started planning for this, knew this was coming, had their ducks in a row. It's just they had to hit the trigger a little bit earlier than anybody expected. There's a couple interesting things, too. In the primary, they're actually holding an all-mail-in election. Every voter is going to get mailed a ballot starting around mid-May. So every single voter will get a primary ballot in Alaska, which will be interesting. There might actually be a huge boost in turnout because we've seen generally in all mail elections, regardless of where they're being held, what sort of election they're being held in, turnout jumps up a lot. 
So that could be great for the primary. You know, there are a ton of candidates running, but there might actually be a really meaningful number of voters participating. And the reason Alaska is holding it as an all-male primary is they actually don't yet have state legislative districts. Like every state pretty much right now, if anybody's been reading the news, you've been seeing headlines about this probably locally, they're in the middle of redistricting. They're drawing the lines for their state house and their state senate elections. And um, Alaska has an independent redistricting commission. So there's a board of five people who actually draw the lines, vote on the lines, accept the lines. And the initial set of maps that commission adopted got challenged, went up to the Alaska Supreme Court. A couple of the districts got declared unconstitutional under the Alaska Constitution. And so the redistricting board had to draw some new lines. They actually just proposed new lines on Wednesday. But those are probably also going to get brought to court because people are already arguing that those are that it's still an unconstitutional gerrymander, an unconstitutional drawing of lines with like a particular partisan goal in mind. And I went on that long tangent because if there are no districts, it's impossible to put voters into precincts. Precincts are the locations where voters actually cast their votes. It's the way we've generally conducted elections in the U.S. Voters have a specific location. They're assigned to that location to go cast their votes. And without those district lines, voters can't really be assigned to specific precincts because we don't know exactly what any given precinct, what district a precinct will be in. So that means... Alaska can't plan to hold an in-person election in June because they don't know where, what precincts voters will be assigned to. But because the Alaska House election is held all at large, they don't need to worry about what districts voters are in. So they can hold an all-male election. They can just mail a ballot to everybody because everybody's going to get the same exact ballot no matter where they live in the state of Alaska because Alaska's federal House of Representatives seat isn't in a district. It's just the state. So that that tangent is just hard to plan to hold an in-person election in June, but they have this actually really sort of elegant solution to that challenge, which is holding an all-male election. And then the really interesting thing in August is that they're holding their first ever ranked choice voting election a couple months early, but that might actually be sort of great because it's a single contest. It's a really good way to both teach voters how to mark the ballot, how results are going to be counted, what the timeline for results counting will be. It'll just help get some exposure to the process without it being every single contest being held with ranked choice voting. It's one contest, it's high profile, people are actually going to pay attention. And they'll, it's a really good opportunity to teach voters with a single point of focus instead of having a ton of different contests that's on everybody's minds. Like it's not running up against the governor's election or the Senate election, because those are the ones that people were really curious about for the November election before <laughs> this vacancy happened. So that's going to be the interesting thing here is just taking advantage of all those opportunities to, to do some voter education around ranked choice voting before the November regular election. I think that's a good point. Change is hard for anyone. And changing the way you voted for years and years and years is extra hard, particularly in the climate of today's elections. And I, I like the idea of easing everyone into the process and, and, you know, so they can see um, how it's going to work in the general. So exactly. Very interesting. So it seems to me like RCV is used a lot of times to fill seats in elections. What What's the benefit of doing an RCV election in this situation? Yeah, ranked choice voting gets used in special elections because as we're seeing, special elections, especially in high profile seats, draw a ton of people to run. So you're going to have giant candidate fields and ranked choice voting helps manage those giant candidate fields. 
the ranked choice voting allows is going to make sure somebody with greater consensus support, somebody who has broader support in a community is going to win, as opposed to a typical special election where if there's, you know, 15, 50 people running, somebody could win with just 20, 25% of the vote. And you don't really know, you know, does that person have support from the other 75% of voters? And this actually allows us to see it. The other interesting thing about this election in particular is it's using this new primary system. Alaska is the first ever state to adopt this form of, of open blanket primary where voters get one vote, but four people get nominated. And then they use ranked choice voting. It's actually an interesting case study because a ranked choice voting election with 48 people running at once would be hard to manage, I think, for anybody. But this has both the benefit of getting a huge candidate field, getting a lot of interesting ideas out there, finding the four best people from that giant field, and then having them go head to head in a single ranked choice voting election. It might be the best of both worlds. We'll see how it all plays out at the end of the day. I'd say also in general, ranked choice voting works in special elections because you can also eliminate a runoff if you want to hold a runoff to determine a majority winner. That's another thing that, you know, is sort of operating here in Alaska. The ranked choice section of the election is sort of like a runoff from the primary election. I agree with you on all those points. And I think that getting people out to vote, in my opinion, is one of the really best things about something like this, where, you know, it would drive a voter turnout in, in a really high profile situation. So other places have used RCV in this same situation. Let's talk about some of the other places who have had special elections and used ranked choice voting over the last few years. Yeah, so there's a few places, like you mentioned in the introduction, New York had four special elections with ranked choice voting last year. They were actually the first ranked choice voting elections in New York before the big June 2021 primary. They adopted ranked choice voting for those specials for the same reason they adopted ranked choice voting for their primary elections. They have a lot of big candidate fields. They recently had a lot of big candidate fields where nobody got elected or nominated with 50% people emerged with 25, 30, 35% of the vote. And ranked choice voting ensured both in the primary and in these specials that somebody would win with a majority. There were four special elections last year in, in New York City. Three of them, they all had multiple candidates, so everybody cast ranked ballots. One of them, somebody had a majority in the first round, so that was sort of that. The other three went to multiple rounds of counting and they were really tightly contested. So that's why New York used them. That's how it worked there. And it was, again, a good way to sort of for the city to get their feet wet. They had to actually manually, they had to hand count those elections because RCTAB, our ranked choice voting counting software, which the city used in the June elections, wasn't yet certified for use in New York. So I think in an ideal world, the New York City Board of Elections wouldn't have had to hand count those elections, but they did in it. I think really did help them get ready for the June elections. Other places that have used it, North Carolina, when they had ranked choice voting, used it actually for this, a statewide vacancy election and a few local judicial vacancies in 2010. That's actually that North Carolina statewide election is still the largest ever ranked choice voting election in history. And I know Gary Bartlett, our executive director, would appreciate me raising that because it's New York obviously was a huge high profile election, but North Carolina still is technically the largest ever ranked choice voting election in the United States. And a few other places have used ranked choice voting for their special elections, San Francisco, St. Paul, um, a few other cities in the Bay Area. And one other place that has flirted a lot with ranked choice voting for special elections, but hasn't quite committed yet is Hawaii. They 
in the last couple of decades have, again, had a bunch of really big candidate fields in special elections, where, again, I'm sort of, I keep hitting on this point, but they keep having people win with 30, 35, 40% of the vote. And ranked choice voting seems like a good way to, to manage that, to make sure that somebody actually gets a majority. So there's been a special election bill introduced in Hawaii that would adopt ranked choice voting just for special elections in the state. That's been introduced, you know, a few years in a row now. It hasn't yet gotten passed, but gets closer and closer every time. And probably the next time there's a vacancy election in Hawaii that has some massive field and nobody's really happy with the winner, that bill might finally make it through the the state legislature. I think probably, and I'm guessing I speak for both of us, if, if they were to need some assistance in implementation and administration, that we have several people on staff who'd be happy to go to Hawaii. We would not complain. <laughs> so Cambridge, Massachusetts also, if, if I remember correctly, uses RCV to fill vacancies. Their system's a little different, though, than these others you've mentioned. What, what's different about that? Yeah, Cambridge uses a really interesting approach. So they use proportional ranked choice voting. They elect everywhere else I'm talking about today is single winner ranked choice voting. Cambridge is electing multiple people at once to their city council, to their school board, using ranked choice voting. And because of the way those proportional ranked choice voting elections work, there's always like a close 10th place person, the person who's just outside the nine seat city council, a close a seventh place person for school committee. What their law does to fill any vacancies if somebody retires from the council or dies, they will actually just rerun the count of the election. They'll essentially conduct a recount of the original election, but ignore rankings for the person who has now vacated their seat. And whoever gets the most votes in that little miniature recount of the election, they'll now fill that vacancy instead. Because it's a really interesting, pretty like creative application of ranked choice voting. You know, it, if you're looking at all the people who ran in your last election, it makes sense to say, you know, whoever was next best, who was just out of getting this, the next seat, why not have them actually fill the seat if they're still up for it? <laughs> or, or maybe you should just be prepared to be brought back into public service. It's a really interesting application of the policy. We haven't seen that used elsewhere in the United States, but, you know, maybe maybe that's something worth exploring again. It seems pretty cost effective, too, because running, you know, additional elections is so expensive. Yeah. So I like that idea. I didn't realize that's how they fill their vacancies. Yeah, that's a great point. Way more cost effective. Way more cost effective. We, we know that primaries and runoffs and general elections really do add up as we work to get them fair and free and safe um, across the nation. So I, I like that idea for cost effectiveness for sure. So at the end of our podcast, I always like to ask this question. It's always a little hard. <laughs> How would you describe ranked choice voting policy over the past two to three years in three or less words? Moving really fast. I think that's perfect. <laughs> we feel it at the, at the resource center because we're, and it's exciting. I, I think growth and change and all the things that are happening um, at a really fast clip, are, it's really exciting, but you know, sometimes it's, it's a lot too, right? <laughs> We're trying to help get things out there to help people you know, implement and administer these elections within their you know, guidelines and statutes and mm -hmm. ordinances so that you know, it's a successful election for them. So yeah. thank you so much, Chris. 
for being on the podcast today. We have missed you on the podcast. Um, hopefully <laughs> I can convince you to um, moderate a few of them here coming up soon. <laughs> Happy to. Yeah. And um, look forward to next month's podcast as well. So. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Kelly. And now for this month's final round, where we share an interesting bit of trivia, useful tidbit, or something we thought was just cool for folks to know about ranked choice voting. Here's Rosemary Blizzard with this month's final round. Did you know that there have been 22 special elections in jurisdictions that use ranked choice voting? The locations include New York City, St. Paul, Minnesota, San Francisco, California, Tacoma Park, Maryland, and a statewide special election in North Carolina. 18 of those races had three or more candidates. Eight of the races were determined after the initial count, while the remaining 10 races required round-by-round -round counting. And that's this month's final round. Thank you for joining us today for our April 2022 RCV Clips episode produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts and make sure to subscribe to the show for the latest episodes and updates. Please take a minute to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. For more information about RCVRC and Ranked Choice Voting, check out our website at www.rcvresources.org. The production of this podcast is supported by the generosity of our donors. Donations can be made directly on the website. Please don't hesitate to contact us with any donation questions at donate at rcvresources.org. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rcvresources and on Facebook and LinkedIn at Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. Our theme music today is Flutterby by Poddington Bear. Until next time, I'm Kelly on behalf of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center.